0: If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, in chapter 1. Psalms in the middle of the scriptures. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 1 this morning. I'd like to read the psalm in its entirety. Psalm chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's go to God once together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray now as we come before your word, uh, what we know not, you would teach us, what we have not, you would give us, and what we are not, you would make us. Come to us now in the preaching of your word. Open it up to us. Seal it upon our hearts. Use it in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to move this a little bit over here. I turned you this morning to Psalm chapter one. We began last week series in the Psalms, Psalms for the Summer, we've called it. The intention is to look. And a few psalms over the course of the summer. last week we looked at Psalm 32 when we talked about uh, the blessed man being the man who is forgiven, the man who's experienced forgiveness from God. And there in Psalm 32, he's described as blessed, uh, that one who has known free and full pardon from God, and who has experienced uh, the forgiveness of his transgressions, the covering of sin, not having iniquity. Uh, counted or imputed to him. Let me just read the first couple of verses from Psalm 32 to refresh your memory, those of you who were here. We saw in Psalm 32, the psalmist writes, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I observed at the start of that message last week that this is actually the second psalm Uh, in the collection of psalms in our Bibles that speaks of the blessed man. Uh, And there in Psalm 32, the blessing is that blessing of forgiveness. Well now, uh, I have wanted to turn us to Psalm 1, which is actually the first psalm that speaks of blessing. Uh, But here the blessing is somewhat different. Uh, The blessing is extended to those who uh, walk in the way of the righteous, who delight themselves in God's law, who meditate on it day and night and moreover, who do not walk in sin and in paths of wickedness. And uh, there is no contradiction, of course, between Psalm 1 and Psalm 32. We need both in our Christian walk, in our Christian lives. Psalm 1 represents that Psalm that is the blueprint of blessing, of the way in which Christians are to walk in obedience and conformity to the law of God. But Psalm 32 is there for us. When we have failed, when we have fallen, when we have committed sin, we can experience a different kind of blessing. And that's what we talked about last week, the blessing of forgiveness. Well, now I'll consider the blueprint for blessing that we have in Psalm chapter 1. In Psalm 1, we have recorded there uh, what I've titled, Two Ways to Live. Two Ways to Live. And indeed, it's true for every single person here, uh, young or old, male or female, believing or unbelieving, that there are only two ways to live. And the psalmist is going to open up for us this morning those two ways to live. I want to consider this morning this text under three main headings. First, let's consider the way of the righteous, the way of the righteous. Secondly, the way of the wicked. And then thirdly and finally, a final contrast between the two ways to live. Final contrast of the two ways to live. So the way of the righteous, that's verses one through three. The way of the wicked, verses four through five. And thirdly, a final contrast of the two ways to live in verse six. Consider with me first the way of the righteous. Let's read again verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, In all that he does he prospers. The entire catalog of Psalms starts with the word blessed. Blessed is the man. We could say blessed is the man or woman. Blessing is the opening of the catalog of Psalms. Benediction from God. Blessed is the man. Now I want you to imagine that you have never read the Psalms before. Maybe that's true for some who are here. For some of you who have been Christians for some time, maybe Psalm 1 and the entire book is quite familiar to you. But imagine for a moment, you've never read the Psalms in your life and you open up to the Psalms and you read these first words, blessed is the man or blessed is the man or woman. Well, we need to be leaning into this. We ought to be on the edge of our seats. Why? Because blessing is what I need. Blessing from God, beatitude from God, benediction from God is what I need. It's what I want. Blessing from God is Everything And here, this catalog of psalms opens with these words, blessed is the man. So I need to lean in, I need to know, because I need blessing from God. That's the need of every human heart. So we see that the psalm opens up with this word, blessed. The word can literally be translated happy. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man, happy is the man. So we see from the beginning, we're considering the way of the righteous, From the very beginning, the psalmist makes clear the way of the righteous is the blessed way. It's the right way. It's the way that is established. It's the favored path, the blessed path, the happy path. And to describe the blessed man, the psalmist first identifies him negatively by what he's not, what he doesn't do, then positively by what he is or what he does do, and then metaphorically by what he's like. And so we'll open up kind of each of those, those ideas there. The, the, the blessed man negatively, positively, and then metaphorically. So first negatively, we see this in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So just observe here at the start that the blessed man, the, the righteous man, is identified as much by what he does not do as he is by what he does He walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of the sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, Now many have observed here in Psalm 1 uh, a sort of uh, mounting, rising, uh, parallelism is what we would call it. Each of the phrases in Psalm 1 is parallel to the others. And it's this idea that it sort of mounts, it sort of grows, it sort of rises. That that first, in verse 1, he's, he's walking not and he, nor stands, nor sits. And some have observed, going from walking to standing to sitting, this, this is to symbolize an increasing comfort with sin and familiarity with sin. And that's definitely a very interesting and attractive notion. It might be reading a little bit into the text, though. I'm not sure. Uh, but, but basically, I think these three terms taken together, not to walk in the counsel of the wicked nor to stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, taken together, they, 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 they connote, they describe a certain... Uh, intimacy with sin, a certain familiarity with sin, uh, a certain knowledge of sin, friendship with sin that's not becoming of the blessed man. So let's look at each one in turn. Uh, First, the psalmist says the blessed man is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. What does he mean by by the one who walks not? That term walk, what does he mean there? Well, Well, one's walk refers to one's conduct one's entire life orientation the way in which one lives one's life that's a person's walk and so the psalmist says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked to walk not in the counsel of wicked of the wicked is to not live like they live to not conduct themselves like they conduct themselves to walk not to live not like the wicked and he says more than that he says they're to walk not in the counsel of the wicked it's interesting to consider there does exist a difference even in the way wicked people and righteous people think. To walk in someone's counsel is to walk in their thought patterns, their, their way of thinking, and to think like the wicked. He says, Blessed is the man who doesn't even walk in their counsel, in their thought patterns, in their life orientation. He doesn't live like they do, think like they do. He is not friends with wickedness and with sin. So the psalmist says, "First, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, the second phrase in verse 1, we're told, the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. Does not stand in the way of sinners. Kids, if I uh, uh, am standing in your way, ordinarily you might think I'm standing in your path, like I'm in front of you blocking the way you need to go. If I said I'm standing in your way, right? Well, that's, that's not really the idea here. The language is used a little bit differently. To stand in the way of sinners means to sort of like occupy their lifestyle, sort of walk in their shoes, to be in their way, to pursue their way of life, to stand in the way of sinners. It's to to walk in their shoes, to live their life. And the psalmist says, blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not live like a sinful person, and does not live like those around him who sin. And then the third and final description of the blessed man, at least negatively speaking, is that he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, who's the scoffer? The scoffer is the one who mocks. He is the one who sees God's law and rolls his eyes. He is the one who has devoted his life to folly. He looks on the way of the righteous, and he says, give me a break. You can't be serious. Well, the righteous man has nothing to do with scoffers. And we know, right? I mean, in every age, there have been scoffers, who look at God's law and and, and ridicule it and mock it and scoff it. They look at the way that Christians live or they look at the Bible and they say, give me a break. You really believe that. You really endeavor to live that way. They roll their eyes at it. That's scoffing. That's mocking. Perhaps you know people in your own life. They consider you even being here this morning and sitting under the preaching of an old psalm uh, to be silliness, to be foolishness, and they might even scoff at the notion that people would gather to do that very thing. Well, the righteous man, he who walks in the way of the righteous, she who walks in the way of the righteous, does not sit in the seat of scoffers, does not adopt their posture, does not look at God's law and mock and scoff at that, but rather approves of it, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Well, that's the righteous man, the blessed man, negatively. Let's consider him positively in the text. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Then verse 2, positively now, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He's not scoffing at the law of God, he delights in the law of the Lord. Now, it's possible Jews reading this psalm for the first time would have heard sort of echoes of what was a well known passage to many Jews of that day that's contained in Joshua chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. But in Joshua chapter 1, Moses has now passed off the scene, and now Joshua is to lead God's people. And in the opening verses of Joshua chapter 1, God speaks to Joshua about overseeing and leading the people of Israel. And in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God says these words to Joshua that sound very similar to Psalm one, verses two and following. Joshua 1.8 says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I imagine that for many Jews familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, when they heard Psalm one, they would think back to God's roots to Joshua. He would be blessed as the leader of Israel if he meditated on God's law, and he would prosper himself, just like the blessed man, the righteous man of Psalm 1. Well, the psalmist writes, his delight is in the law of the Lord. For the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Literally, his pleasure is in the Torah of Yahweh. His pleasure, his delight is in the law of the Lord. The blessed man is the man who looks at God's law and says, this is right. This is good. My blessing, my pleasure, my joy is found in this way of life. Righteousness and justice and mercy, those ideals upheld by God's law, they are precious to me. I cherish those things. I love the law of God. It is my delight. Righteous people, blessed people are not those who begrudge God's commandments. They look at God's law and they say, this is good, this is true, this is beautiful, and I want this. This is the pathway of blessing. This is the blueprint for human flourishing. The word for law here, like I said a moment ago, is Torah, Torah, which is broader than simply the Ten Commandments. It encompasses the entirety of God's will, his commands, and his directives to his people. And this word is used literally hundreds of times throughout the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, the word Torah to describe the law. It's actually used 25 times in Psalm 119 alone. And uh, I'd like to read some of those references to you. No need to turn to Psalm 119, but I just want you to hear how the psalmist in Psalm 119 exalts over the law of God and speaks of pleasure and delight in the law of God. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 136, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. You ever loved the law of God so much that you should tears over wickedness and disregard for God's law? Verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. 165, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And then verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Psalm 119, understanding, peace, Salvation are all bound up with the law of God. It's good to the psalmist. It's precious to the psalmist. Another text that speaks of delight in the law of God and what a valuable and precious gift it is to God's people is Psalm 19. Perhaps this text is familiar to some of you here. I'll just read a few verses from Psalm 19, verses seven through eleven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 19, revival, wisdom, rejoicing, enlightenment, desire, sweetness, reward, all bound up in God's law. Tremendous, wonderful, beautiful pathway of blessing for the believer. Uh, But you may say, well, well, you know, that's kind of the Old Testament. They, They really had the law. And, uh, and, so, and so they're just more fixated on it and celebrated it more. Well, first of all, no. Second of all, did you think I would not come with some New Testament texts to make the same point? Romans 7, verse 12, there Paul is wrestling over the inner uh, corruption and sin he finds in his own heart. And even there, he exalts over the law. He says, verse 12, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good a little ways down to verse 22. I delight in the law according to my inner being. He looks even at his inward sin and he says, but you know what? I love the law. I delight in the law even according to my inner being. In my heart, I delight in the law of God. I said a moment ago that for the Christian, for the believer, the laws of God are not burdensome, right? This idea comes to us strongly in 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome to us. The righteous man, the godly man, looks at God's law and says, this is no burden. This is the pathway to blessing. This is good, this is right. This leads to prosperity and flourishing and goodness and blessing for me. And then the words of the Lord Jesus, John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Well, back to our text itself. In Psalm chapter one, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So I ask you, brother, sister, follower of God, do you love the law of God? Do you look at God's law and say, this is right, this is good, this is the pathway of blessing for me. I want this life. I want to pursue this path. I desire the way of the righteous. Do you look at God's law and say, To keep these commands is no burden, rather, it is my delight? Well, the righteous, according to Psalm 1 and verse 2, are those who delight in the law of the Lord. But the psalmist says more than this. He goes on to say, verse 2, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight's in the law of the Lord, and he's meditating on the law of God day and night psalmist says the blessed man is that man who meditates on God's law. Literally, he ponders it. He considers it. He turns it over in his mind. He studies it, perhaps even memorizes portions of it. He fills his mind with it, with the law of God. And this is not something he does once a week when the saints gather. He says he does this day and night. This is the pattern of his life, to reflect, to meditate, to consider the law of God, and to fill his mind with it. He asks himself, how can I better understand the law of God and how can I continually conform my life to it? He thinks about this. He fills his mind with righteous thoughts, with godly thoughts, even with the law of God. Now, my mother uh, was fond of saying, garbage in, garbage out. Unlimited applications for a mom with children. Garbage in, garbage out, okay? That's actually right, that's true. Maybe you've heard someone say that in a different context. Garbage in, garbage out, your mind with garbage, your heart with garbage. Garbage will come out in your character, in your conduct, in your words. It's a true statement. I heard of a professor, he wasn't my professor, but I heard of a professor who had all these little proverbs he would repeat to his students. and He was fond of saying, uh, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. That immediately went past like 90% of you, I can tell by the looks on your faces. Okay. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. That's true. What you fill your mind with, what you ponder, what you meditate upon, it informs your thoughts, it informs your conduct, it informs the words you say, it informs where your feet go, it informs what your hands do. Garbage in, garbage out. You are not what you think you are, and what you think you are. Brothers and sisters, your mind is a sacred thing. It's highly malleable. It can be formed, it can be shaped, it can be influenced, and he is a wise man, she is a wise woman who seeks to take stock of all of the various influences on his or her mind. And to do what 2 Corinthians 10 tells us, to take every thought captive, and to bring it in submission to Christ. All the time, your mind is being influenced. It's influenced in what you read, it's influenced by the programs you watch, it's influenced by your interactions during the day with various people, it's influenced by the teachers you choose to listen to, by uh, the the podcasts that you listen to, radio programs you listen to, constantly receiving influence. Well, he is a wise man, she is a wise woman who takes stock of those influences and recognizes my mind can be shaped and formed. And I wanna subject my mind to good influences. My son, Dominic, is about eight months old. He's a baby. Babies don't influence anybody. He just receives influence all the time, right? And as parents, you think, oh, this precious child. I am stewarded, I am tasked by God to, to, to safeguard this child from negative influences, and moreover, to bring to that child positive influences, constantly being influenced, and it could drive you crazy as a parent. And I, I, I have to, It's a stewardship from God, the influences upon this child. Why don't we view our minds that way? Your mind, my brother, my sister, is a stewardship. Garbage in, garbage out. Wickedness in, wickedness out. Righteousness in, righteousness out. Blessing in, blessing out. God's law, God's words, in. What do you think will come out of you? The path of the righteous, the way of the righteous. You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Philippians 4.8 tells us, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on these things. Consider these things. Meditate on these things. Well, the blessed man, the righteous man, meditates on God's law day and night thirdly and finally under the way of the righteous let's consider him metaphorically metaphorically verse 3 says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers now recognize that this is a metaphor which means you don't take every element of the metaphor exactly literally okay that's not how metaphor works but what's the general point here with this metaphor the psalmist uses The idea is that godly people prosper. Those who follow the way of the righteous, who delight themselves in God's law, who meditate on it day and night, they will prosper. They'll grow up like a tree and and, and they'll bear fruit and their leaves will not wither. They'll flourish. They'll be effective. Uh, One of the meanings of this word is that they'll be of use. Like, Like godly people, those who meditate on God's law, internalize it and live it out, they're of great value, great worth, great use in the world. They prosper, they flourish. That's why I've said earlier, Psalm 1 is the formula for human flourishing. Now to be clear, this is not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is not the idea that, man, if you just, if you just follow the law of God, you'll have every sort of blessing. This is nothing about your bank account, nothing about whether or not you'll ever get diagnosed with cancer. Rather, this means that when everyone around you who forsakes God and his law is withering and collapsing morally, you are able to stand and even to thrive because you walk in paths of righteousness. You flourish if you live according to God's plans and commands. This type of prosperity the psalmist is talking about is the ability to be steadfast, to be happy in doing good, to be morally unshakable and immovable. God's ways are the pathway to this kind of flourishing this kind of prosperity, and this prosperity will of course find its fullest expression in the life to come. Don't limit it only to this life, but when we are walking in the path of the righteous, apart from sin in the presence of Christ, we will know the greatest expression of human flourishing and prosperity. But I think it's important to note, even generally speaking, that prosperity and human flourishing have always been greatest where Judeo-Christian values are most consistently held and practiced. Notice I did not say wherever you have the highest concentration of professing Christians. But wherever the teachings of Christ, his law and his word are most faithfully lived out, you can take it to the bank. There you will have the greatest expressions of prosperity and human flourishing. After all, wasn't it Jesus who gave us the two great commandments to love God and to love neighbor? Wasn't it the Lord Jesus who gave us the golden rule to love your neighbor as yourself? Was it not Jesus who called his people to give attention to matters of justice and mercy? Was it not Jesus who said, blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers? Was it not Jesus who came, as Luke foretells us, to proclaim good news to to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed? to proclaim the year of the Lord's blessing, favor. Was it not Jesus who healed diseases, performed miracles, who provided the greatest model of sacrificial love in his going to the cross for sinners? See, Jesus holds forth laws, commands, and ideals. He holds forth the way of the righteous that produces prosperity and human flourishing. If you want the blueprint for human flourishing, you already have it. Just got to look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, just the blueprint for how disciples of the Lord Jesus ought to live. And there you will find a pathway to blessing. Well, we have that sermon that encompasses three chapters, more or less summarized for us in Psalm 1. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So, my friend, you want to stand. You want to be firm, you want to prosper, you want to thrive, well God has shown you how you can do so. Walk in his ways, follow his paths, delight yourself in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. That is the message of Psalm one. The blueprint of blessing, the pathway of the righteous. Well now please consider with me secondly and more briefly, the way of the wicked. Much more briefly, the way of the wicked. Seen the way of the righteous, negatively, positively, metaphorically? Secondly, now consider the way of the wicked. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Literally, verse 4 reads, Not so the wicked. All these blessings that belong to the man who walks in the way of the righteous, not so the wicked. The wicked are those who walk in sin and rebellion against God's law. And the psalmist says, of the wicked, they don't possess the blessing of the righteous. Rather, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, kids, let me get your eyes for just a moment, kind of eyes up here. Uh, uh, do you know what chaff is? Have you heard that word before? What is, what is chaff? We don't use that word very often, okay? But if you could imagine, kind of in, in these days, uh, a, a farmer, and he's... he's uh, cutting up grain out in his fields. They call that the threshing floor. And here he is, he's trying to, to get up the, the, the wheat and to put it in his uh, you, you know, his little cart or whatever to bring it home and to process it and to make bread out of it. There he is, and he's, he's cutting up all this wheat. He's trying to get it for his family so he could feed them. And as he's cutting up this wheat, there are little bits of grass, and so just, just little bits of nothing kind of flying behind him, just little scraps. You might see this when, when, when your dad mows the lawn, little bits of grass kind of go flying places, you know. Well, well, that's chaff, okay? Here's his farm, he's cutting things up and little bits of trash are flying behind, okay? Well, that's the word that this psalmist uses to describe the wicked. He says like just little scraps, little bits of trash that the wind drives away. Like the farmer isn't even looking at them, he's taking the wheat, he's putting it in his cart, he's taking it to his barn, and the little bits of chaff are just blown away in the wind. That's the word, this psalmist says, of wicked people, those who live in sin and in wickedness and in rebellion against God's law. They're just like little scraps of nothing that get blown away with the breeze. And just like that chaff gets blown away in the wind, the psalmist says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the wicked. Just like that chaff just blows away, it's gone. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now, by that, the psalmist does not mean the wicked will not be judged. But that when the judgment comes, the wicked will not be able to stand. They'll be crushed. They'll be damned. They'll perish in the judgment. They will not be able to stand when they look upon a holy God and he judges them for their sins. They will be crushed. They will perish. They will not be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. Well, we see here in Psalm 1, verses 4 through 5, two extremely important, fundamental, biblical truths that have almost entirely evacuated modern preaching. They are these. Number one, judgment is coming. It's coming for everybody, the righteous and the wicked. Judgment is coming. And number two, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. They will perish. Judgment is coming, and the wicked will perish in the judgment well listen he is no gospel preacher who seeks to evade these truths the judgment is coming all of us will be judged and the wicked will not be able to stand in the judgment and now if you're here and you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ you're not seeking to live in the way of the righteous rather you're living in rebellion to God's law you're living in wickedness and in sin you tell me in light of these shoes what would be the loving thing for me to say it would be to warn you It would be to warn you that judgment is coming and the wicked will not stand in the judgment. You're going to need to be forgiven. You're going to need to be saved. You're going to need someone to intervene for you or else you will not stand in the judgment. Well, that is the way of the wicked. Now, thirdly and finally, a final contrast of the two ways to live. This is in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalmist takes stock of the two ways to live, and he says that one will be established and the other will perish. But notice it's not just that the wicked will perish, but rather their way will perish. And it's not just that the righteous will be able to stand in the judgment, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The idea is that no one will be talking about greed or sexual immorality or bitterness in heaven, but we'll still be celebrating every glass of cold water that was handed out in Jesus' name. God will bring to ruin and utterly extinguish the hatred that devours mankind today. That's the way of the wicked. But love thy neighbor will still be the golden rule in the new heavens and the new earth. Oppression and strife, the way of the wicked, will perish. Peace and justice, the way of the righteous, will endure forever. The way of the righteous is the way of heaven. And the psalmist says God knows the way of the righteous. He acknowledges it. He approves of it. He establishes it. He blesses it. Perfect benediction, perfect blessing, perfect beatitude is to the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Well, there you have it. Two ways to live, and there is no third. Two ways to live, and there is no third. Third. In closing, I want to address two groups of people. Uh, Those who are pursuing the first way to live the way of the righteous and those who are pursuing the second way and that is the way of the wicked. To those pursuing the way of the righteous, you look at Psalm 1 and you look at yourself. And you look at Psalm 1 and you look at yourself. And you look at Psalm 1, the way of the righteous, and you look at yourself. Psalm 1 is strikingly binary, isn't it? strikingly absolute you're either righteous or you're wicked there's no third way to live you're righteous or you're wicked there are only two ways and we look at this today and we think isn't life more complex than that we deem absolutes like this to be unsophisticated we look at psalm 1 and think that's impossibly reductionistic we look inward and we're like aren't we kind of a dichotomy right i see righteousness i see wickedness Yes, I've been made new in Christ, and I'm seeking to obey God's law, and I I can say in truth I delight in the law of God, and yet there's so much remaining sin. So how do we make sense of Psalm 1? Well, according to Psalm 1, the categories that are used in the Psalms, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a worshiper of Yahweh, the one true God, and seek to live according to his will, like it or not, you are the righteous, in the categories of the Psalms, you are the righteous, you are the godly, you are the blessed. But you say, that can't be. There's none righteous, no, not one, right? I'm, I can't say that I'm righteous. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace and that's a good instinct to have. So isn't this too simplistic to divide the world into two camps like this, the righteous and the wicked? Well, there's two things I'd like to say that I think clear this up a little bit for us. The first has to do with genre, The second has to do with identity. Genre and identity. First in the area of genre. You have to recognize in the Bible, the word of God comes to us in a variety of genres. We have biblical poetry, we have wisdom literature, we have narrative, we have prophecy, we have apocalyptic literature, we have discourses and treatises of theology, all sorts of genres in the Bible. Well, it's no different even in our age. Any English majors here, you study 19th century English literature, Different genres there. Poetry and prose are not the same thing, right? So we we come across someone like Alfred Lord Tennyson, great poet laureate of the 1800s. And here he is with his poem on uh, the Battle of Balaclava in the Crimean War in 1854. And this event happens where where there's this this blunder and and these troops are, are gunned down and have to retreat. And he writes his famous poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade. Forward the light brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not but the soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do or die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. Now if you were around in those days, you picked up that poem and you said, that's a funny way to report the news. He left out all sorts of key facts and places and details and there's no nuance in this. What's this guy talking about? Well, he would not be the fool you would be, right? Because it's not reporting the news. It's poetry. it's a different genre. It's not a news report, right? Or perhaps you have the prose of someone like Charles Dickens in his great work Tale of Two Cities." It was the best of times. it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. it was the age of fools. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It's a paradox, right? Yeah, this guy can't make up his mind. <laughs> it's a paradox. And it's more different still from the opening lines of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Oh, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. It's irony, right? It's irony. It's kind of a joke. We understand genres are different and we interpret them differently. The rules of expounding them and understanding them are a little bit different depending on the genre. Well, it's no different in the Bible. You have Psalms. You have Narrative. you have apocalyptic literature, and we have to understand each one according to the genre that it is. And it is the nature of Psalms as wisdom literature to be poetic, to be strikingly binary, and somewhat simplistic. There's a punch to that, that there are only two ways to live, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. That doesn't mean that there's not a more nuanced take on the way of the righteous. So you go on to... New Testament epistles, and you see that actually, yeah, we are kind of a dichotomy. There's a little more complexity to this. That doesn't illegitimize, though, the words of the Psalms. You have to get into the categories and the words of the Psalms, and if you read the Psalms and pay close attention to them, you'll learn that the blessed man is the righteous man. And yet it's also possible, like we saw last week, for the blessed man, even the godly, as Psalm 32 says, to fall into sin. So we shouldn't be confused when we read about the righteous man in Psalm one, or the blessed man, that's Christian people. That's those who are followers of God, followers of Yahweh, who seek to follow the law of God. Brothers and sisters, if you believe the Lord Jesus Christ and delight yourself in the law of God, that is you. But more importantly, I wanna say something about identity, about identity. The New Testament unfolds this point with greater precision, but we see when it comes to identity, Uh, That is who we are by nature as Christians. The Bible makes much of the fact that our identity is now bound up ultimately in the new nature we have in Christ. Let me give you just two examples. Romans 6, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? What's the identity? You're dead to sin. Objectively, brothers, you're dead to sin. That's who you are in Christ. So how can we live any longer in it? Paul recognizes the dichotomy. Some of our actions are sinful. But you need to realize that's not who you are. You're righteous. You're in Christ. You have a new nature. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. And you are most yourself when walking in righteousness. You are most yourself and most true to your nature in Christ when you're obeying God's law and walking in the way of the righteous. Sin is an aberration. Sin's a distortion, that's not who you are, so stop it, cut it out. He doesn't say, oh, you, you know, you're dead, in, you're, you're dead to sin in Christ, therefore sin's impossible. So sin's gonna happen, but see, that's the aberration, that's not who you are. You're a new creature in Christ, you're the righteous, you're the godly, and that's to motivate you to holiness. Blessed is the man, blessed is the way of the righteous. We saw this in Ephesians four, right, the other example. Put off the old self, that's not who you are, Put on the new self, created new in Christ Jesus after true righteousness and likeness of God. That's who you are. Act like who you are. Become who you are. Follow the way of righteousness. I can remember as a child playing in the neighborhood with my brother, older brother Anthony, not Zach, who many of you know, and uh, a bunch of kids we were playing with made fun of him, uh, probably about a girl or something like that. They were teasing him. And I chimed in and started making fun of him too. And I got home And my dad gave me the business. And then he said to me, Alex, brothers stand up for their brothers. Now, I think I would have missed the point entirely if I said, well, dad, yeah, right. I mean, I just didn't, duh. What do you mean, I didn't do it, so doesn't that disprove your theory about brothers? That's to miss the point entirely. He's saying you are faithful to your nature as a brother, to your brother, when you're standing up for him. See, brothers don't turn their backs on one another. They don't betray one another. Brothers stand up for one another. And when you're doing that, you're acting as a brother. You are who you are by nature. But when you're not standing up for him, that's an aberration. That's a distortion. That's wrong. And so we need to understand in Psalm 1 what our identity is. We are, those of us who are God's people, we are the righteous. We are the godly. We are the blessed. And Psalm 1 is saying, act like it. This is who you are. You're the one who delights in God's law, who meditates on God's law. Pursue the way of the righteous. And when you are sinning, you are something other than who you ought to be. You are not acting in accord with your nature. So we see in Psalm 1, we're meant to pursue the way of the righteous. Now recognize Psalm 1. It is the pathway of blessing for the Christian. We're always meant to walk in Psalm 1, but do not forget the sermon from last week. Christians fall Christians sin well what do we do then is it just all over and all come to nothing now we have Psalm 32 we can know a different kind of blessing the blessing of forgiveness and so we see we have a Psalm for walking Psalm 1 and a Psalm for when we fall and that is Psalm 32 but Psalm 1 is the blueprint Psalm 1 is the path for the righteous and may God help us to pursue it by his help secondly finally to those pursuing the way of the wicked remember those twin truths judgment is coming and the wicked will not stand in the judgment and so I ask you what is your plan what are you playing at the judgment is coming those who are rebels to God's law, those who are wicked, those who do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord, know Him as a savior, will perish. I tell you, my friend, you need to be forgiven of your sins. You can't just try to get your act together or something like that. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to go to God and repent of the way of the wicked, and then turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe upon Him for salvation, for forgiveness. And then God will acquaint you with the way of blessing, with the way of the righteous, and you will know blessing upon blessing. You'll even hear that great benediction. He says to all those who are his on that great and final day, come, you who are blessed of my Father, enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. You can know that kind of blessing, but you have to repent. And that's my favorite definition of repent. It's a turning away, right? Like I was going this way, the way of the wicked, and then I turned to follow after Christ, and to know the way of the righteous. Well, if you come to the Lord Jesus today in repentance and faith, you will receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And it is to that that I call you to this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we say that the law is holy. With Paul, we say the commandment is holy and just and good. Help we who are your people to delight in the law of God according to the inner being. And may we more and more conform our lives to that path, that way of righteousness, that blueprint you've given to us in the Scriptures. May we do so in the help of Christ, leaning always upon his grace. And when we fail, when we fall, may you draw us back to yourself in repentance and new faith, fresh faith. And may you acquaint us with the blessing of forgiveness. We pray for all those who even now are pursuing the way of the wicked. Show them the end of that way, where it leads to sure destruction, to death, to perishing. But we pray, Lord, that you'd move upon them even now to cry out to you in repentance, to turn away from the way of the wicked unto the way of the righteous. And may through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, may they know the forgiveness of their sins and the enablement to walk in paths of righteousness and paths of blessing. We pray, Lord, that your benediction would be upon us in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.